You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show in which we read black books, and they're talked about by a black author, and uh, you can listen or watch if you're black or not. That's okay. All right, this week on the podcast, we read uh, The Other Wes Moore by Wes Moore, One Name, Two Fates, New York Times bestseller, and it is now somewhat of an old book. I think it was written. It was written about. Uh, it was written over ten years ago, and the. I think my copy was published in twenty eleven. So not a new book, but an interesting book. And usually, I like to talk about how I came to these books. I don't remember how I came to this book, uh, but I was intrigued by it. And so we're gonna hop in. We're gonna talk about three different things here. Three or four different things. We're gonna talk about the writing, the style of the writing, as always. Gonna talk about the ideas in the book, and then some tidbits, or just some things that maybe mm, stuck with me. Okay, all right. So the writing. Um, first of all, uh, as Westmore says in the book, his father was a journalist. He's not a journalist, and uh, he's not a trained writer, but he was a Rhodes Scholar, or is a Rhodes Scholar. Does ever does one ever stop being a Rhodes Scholar? I, I don't know. Once you become one, but uh, he. His writing is good. I did think, though, that um, eventually the writing seemed a little wooden. I don't think that the emotion in a lot of the scenes comes across. And I mean specifically in the life of Wes Moore. Now, just to avoid any confusion, Wes Moore will be the author and the other Wes Moore will be the gentleman who is incarcerated in prison in Baltimore. Um... I don't really like referring to him as the other Westmore, but that's the best we can go with, and it is the name of the book's title. Uh, more on that later. Anyway, I think that the author Westmore, how about that instead? We'll say the author Westmore and Westmore, that sounds better. The author Westmore, I think he had trouble expressing his emotional state as he got older. Uh, when he was younger, and his father passed away, and he hadn't gone to military school yet, I think it was easier for him to... Um, delve into that part of his life and really express how he was feeling, how he struggled with it. And um, I think that was like a part of him that was vulnerable and he felt okay revealing that vulnerability. I think as he got older, and this is armchair psychologist, but you know, I'm reading the book. I think as he got older and uh, specifically as he got into Valley Forge, he learned... um, how to place his emotions, like where and how to place them so that they couldn't hurt him and so that he could succeed. And I don't really know if that's necessarily healthy. And um, certainly like a parallel that's not drawn in the book, but which is kind of there, is that learning to mask your emotions and uh, quote unquote succeed is something that you could learn at military school. It's something you could learn on the streets of Baltimore, as the incarcerated Westmore did. And it's something you could just learn in regular life, uh, in society. Men are often taught to um, mask their emotions. So, 
Yeah, I, I think that from about the age of 13 on, uh, the author, Westmore, um, his story lacks a bit of emotion. Or don't know if, uh, don't know if I would say it lacks emotion. It lacks, um, the writing is a little bit less emotional or the emotion doesn't come, uh, come through quite as well. Um, okay. So that's, that's the writing. Uh, the other part of the book that you obviously have to discuss is the actual idea in the book. So the ideas of the book is that, uh, the writer Russ Moore, um, was in South Africa when he learned that there was another Westmore in Baltimore, same name, grew up and lived uh, in Baltimore. They, so they both were born in Baltimore and grew, lived in the uh, nearby neighborhoods. And that the other, this, this um, Westmore who was living in Baltimore, he had uh, been accused or not convicted yet. He, uh, the police were looking for him in connection with the killing of a uh, off-duty police officer who was working as a security guard. So the whole book is about this idea of uh, two divergent paths, right? Uh, the author, Westmore, as we said, goes to Valley Forge Military School and becomes a Rhodes Scholar eventually. And um, and the other, the, I'm not going to stop saying the other Westmore, the Baltimore Westmore, uh, who stayed in Baltimore the whole time and um, stayed close to the streets. Uh, he eventually is incarcerated for this um for this crime, uh, the, this killing of this police officer. And so the story is about, it's kind of a there, but for the grace of God go I story. Um, and I think the central question of the book, well, the central question of the book that I think the author is seeking to propose is, uh, why? Why, w- what happened? Is it environment? Is it, um mentors in their lives is it opportunities what is the reason that one westmore ends up this way and the other westmore ends up this way that question will table for a moment and instead talk about the central question that i think i have reading this book 10 years later especially in the moment that we're in right now and that central question i have is is this, uh, is Westmore's heart in the right place? Um, where do his sympathies lay? Because there's an aspect of this book that you could read as, um, wanting to pacify a certain section of American society, namely white people who have their feelings hurt easily. And there's a way you could read this book that's one reading of the book. You could possibly read it that way. I'm not saying I necessarily read it the way, but that's one way you could read it. And there's another reading of this book, which is the bootstraps reading of this book. And that element is certainly in there. This idea that discipline, hard work, that that personal responsibility play a factor in uh, a person's life, no matter where they come from. And I'm not even saying that that's necessarily wrong, but the question is, where do Westmore, the writer, where do his sympathies lay? I would say that they definitely lay with uh, black children who are growing up in poor environments who don't have all the opportunities. I don't think that anybody could walk away from this and say that his heart's not at least somewhere in the right place. But I do think some people will read this and they'll read the fact that 
He mentions Barack Obama. He mentions Nelson Mandela in the context of calling, uh, in the context of uh, Ubuntu, um, the Zosa word for uh, for unity or brotherhood or coming together that that Mandela invoked post-apartheid. This idea of not wanting to have vengeance or revenge against um, the uh, white minority government who uh, discriminate against them for generations. Westmore talks about that in the book. He also talks about Colin Powell and contrasts his approach to America with Malcolm X's. So I think there's no question that what Westmore is advocating is a less vengeful, a less angry um, black populace. And I think if, you know, reading this book now in light of what the summer of 2020, uh, what happened in the summer of 2020 and the moment that we're in now, you could see somebody reading this going like, well, this sounds an awful lot like I'm supposed to forgive and forget. And I don't want to forgive and forget. And I could uh, see that viewpoint, no problem. That being said, I don't think Westmore is going to be 100% unnuanced about his feelings in America. I don't think he would just simply say, forgive, forget, move on. Um, I don't think that's true. I think there's enough evidence in this book to say that he sees the ridiculous imbalance that exists uh, amongst black folks in America, especially people who are in the inner city, but in general, the, the wealth gap in America that has existed and that is widening. The fact that Instead of upward mobility, which was uh, happening in black communities pre-1970, it's actually been downward mobility. That is that successive generations are doing worse than the generations before them. Um, you can blame hip-hop if you want. We won't have that argument here. You can argue with the wall. But the point is, is that I don't think Westmore would turn a blind eye to that. He grew up in these places and he knows that there is poor infrastructure, a lack of opportunities. So I think that... Um, there's the second question then of personal responsibility. So I, I, I think that the author Westmore believes that it's bad, but while it's bad, there's still an opportunity to make it better if one, us, the community, goes back and helps. So the back of the book is filled with, first of all, it's called a call to action and it's got all of these, uh, it's a resource guide of all these different organizations. And that's cool. I mean, that, that not, it's, not, it's not cool. That's great. You know, that's awesome. And I did some of these when I was a kid. And uh, I don't live in America now, but if I did, I would participate in them. Um, but really, I think that there's a faction of us who believe that the government should be doing more. So it's a question of um, striking a balance. No matter what, black folks are going to be involved in their upward mobility and have been the whole time there was never a moment in american history where black people weren't fighting for their freedom civil rights economic opportunities etc there has never been a moment where we haven't been on the front lines of that fight i think what so many black people are asking in 2020 and 2021 is why has the government not walked in stride with us Right? Why hasn't there been investment in our communities? So personal responsibility is awesome. That's great. And the fact that Westmore was able to achieve that at Valley Forge is awesome. And the fact that there are tons of people you can point to who have done it, that's great too. But should it have to be that way? Because there's it's one thing to say personal responsibility for a person whose second chance 
looks like Wes Moore's. And another thing to say, personal responsibility for a person whose second chance looks like an affluent kid of any race, but let's say white, living in the suburbs. You know, if you botch it in high school, well, you've got enough money, influence, and you've got the right skin color to make it out on the other side. If Wes Moore botched it in high school, that was it. His botching it in high school was it. Particularly the Baltimore Westmore, but even the Ryder Westmore. He, his mother was able to pool resources and send him to Valley Forge, but had she not been able to send him to Valley Forge? Or had he succeeded in running away from Valley Forge? Uh, one of the, I think it was four times that he tried. How would have that turned out? How would that have turned out? So personal responsibility is awesome. It's definitely a thing. Um, you know, when you look at the shootings in Chicago... Certainly the shootings in Chicago are uh, a product of economic blight, a lack of opportunities, a lack of infrastructure, and America's complete disinterest in actually investing in black communities. But the rapper Lupe Fiasco and other people from the city of Chicago would also say, although that's true, stop shooting people, right? We can't just excuse... The slayings that are happening, innocent bystanders, there's been kids who have been killed, there's been people who aren't involved in any kind of illegal activity killed for no reason, so we can't just excuse everything. So, it's got to be a balance of personal responsibility, but also, we've got to hold accountable this government that we elect to work for us. They're our employees, and they haven't been working for us for nigh on 50 years. So, um... Yeah, I guess the answer to Wes Moore's question, which is the central question of the book, is why? Why does one Wes Moore go this way, and why does another Wes Moore go this way? The reason is, one, sheer luck, two, opportunities, and three, and Wes Moore talks about this at the end, in the epilogue and the afterward, his mother had ever so much more, slightly such more, uh, resources. She had a college degree. Both of his parents did. They owned a house in Baltimore. They had a network of friends that had just enough money to be able to get Westmore to Valley Forge. All of those things really worked in his favor. So, um, if, if that could be something that we could offer all black people, right? If everybody had that safety net, we would have a lot of less Westmores who are incarcerated. But that takes actually investing in the community. And I'm not talking about uh, black people investing in the community. Black people do invest in their community. But you can look up any number you'd like and see that the wealth gap is there. Not, not cash on hand. That's there too. We're talking wealth. Wealth. Generational wealth. That gap exists. That's what's got to be fixed. All right. Uh, so those are the ideas in the book. And... Um, you know, there's that's a lot to like <laughs> to to argue about. It's an argument that we've been having ongoing for years. So, um, you know, this book doesn't seek to solve that argument, and I'm not seeking to explain it away in ten minutes. Just telling you that's what the book is about. All right, so I'm going to talk about two more things, then we're going to be done here. Two more things that interest me about this book. Um, overall, I like I said, Wes Moore's heart is in the right place. This is a guy who 
gives back to his community. He does go and do the work. He has a call to action. Um, he believes in putting his money where his mouth is, for lack of a better term. He goes out there and he works with the youth and in these underprivileged areas. So this is not a guy who's just talking up a big game and then not doing anything. And he's also not a guy who's doing bad faith arguments. That's a big thing too. This isn't like um, a person who made it out. And this happens, a person who makes it out. And then after they make it out of the hood, they look back on that place and they just say, well, everybody didn't work hard enough. He's not that person. Okay. I just want to make that clear. That being said, he feels very strongly about the military and it's hard to untangle the military from other strands in the book. Um, it's both implicitly and explicitly stated that the, the military saved his life. And I, I don't think that Westmore is trying to tell minorities to go join the military. But I think it would be disingenuous to say that that's not somewhere in there. Not that he meant to put it in there, but it's hard to read a book in which this man owes all of his um, success in a way to an institution that's affiliated with the military and then joins the military later voluntarily um, because of the uh, extreme amount of patriotism. And I don't mean that in a negative way for once, but the extreme amount of patriotism and kinship he felt with his fellow military men and women. Um, so uh, that part's a little bit, you know, not great. Don't really want a book that encourages minorities in any way shape or form to to join the military um which again this is not like a it's not like a you know it's not like that episode of the simpsons where it's a subliminal messaging inside of the book to tell you to join the military but reading between the lines whether or not he intended it to be there it's there so t do with that information what you will that was an aspect that i couldn't quite get over all right i want to end on a uh, i think a, a somewhat humorous note um I didn't quote the book at all, so uh, I will quote at least one little section of the book, okay? On page 43, I've been talking about this with my African co-workers. Actually, I just have one African co-worker. She's from Ghana, and um, the other co-worker is French, but uh, she, her parents are from Equatorial Guinea. And I've been explaining that I don't get enough head nods. So this is a pan-Africanist moment, okay? I don't get enough head nods from Africans when I see them on the streets of Nanjing as an expat. Now, that's how I know that usually that uh, you can tell right away that person's not black or like African-American. They won't give me back the head nod. And both of them think I'm crazy, but it's happened. Even at, even at my school, it's happened. So uh, here on page 43, uh, he's talking about getting to the Bronx, Westmores, and he says, With every step on those cracked sidewalks, I passed a new signifier of urban decay. But I didn't even realize it. I was a kid and just happy to get out of the house. The people I passed would look me up and down and I would look back, give the traditional head nod, and then go back to practicing my crossover dribble. Folks, if you're black, African, from Ghana, Kenya, Congo, Benin Republic, Tanzania, doesn't matter. If you see another black person, give the head nod. Even if... You think they're an American black person, you want to give me, give me the head nod, all right? This is the least amount of Pan-Africanism we can do. It's our duty to give a traditional head nod. All right, that's going to do it for today. Um, I don't know what I'm going to read next. Something new, something that is not, something that's going to be published in 2021. 
So I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to buy it and read it within the next two weeks and make another one of these. So, um, yeah, I'll see you in two weeks. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, stay black, and keep reading.